Welcome in to yet another edition of Inside Carolina's Day After Podcast. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Is the day after North Carolina 31, Minnesota 13. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. I'm the host, Tommy Ashley, and I'm going to move myself at the bottom and put both of the experts at the top. Buck, as always, coming to you first. We're talking a little bit off air. It's a great day in the bowls lot. Pre-game turned out to be a great day for North Carolina football on the field in Keenan Stadium against Minnesota. Yeah, I think the uh, the key takeaway from yesterday's game, and we can talk about a lot of things, but the the largest takeaway for me was that uh, North Carolina showed a different way of winning a football game. Uh, they had they they won the South Carolina game in, in large measure, I think, but basically because of their defense that game, and then uh, Appalachian State uh, they squeaked by and uh, didn't really show too much of anything in that game. And then against Minnesota, um, but Appala- against Appalachian, they did show they could run the ball at times. So they, they got 234 yards out of Hampton, so they won kind of with their running game. And uh, then with uh, against Minnesota, they saw they could prove they could win throwing the ball. So... That's good, and it makes North Carolina a more versatile team and uh, a team that can respond to almost any kind of challenge a, an offense can throw at it. So, yeah, that's Jason, where I'm at. Yeah, Jason Buck nailed it right out of the gate, and it was kind of what I was thinking. You've played three ball games. You've won three ball games, pretty much in different ways. Uh, everybody was fretting over Drake May and the yards and whatever. He had two ugly picks, but. 400 plus you'll take about every day jason just overall thoughts um well it's not uh makes a big difference to have a number one wide receiver out there absolutely (laughs) just sort of makes you wonder um what this offense might have looked like if you'd had tez walker and nate mccollum out there it's too soon brother i I think i think they would be elite yeah they had that yeah i think you're looking at a top fiver probably at least a top 10 offense in the country with those two. And, you know, you're looking at potentially top five uh, overall production on the season. If you add McCollum, uh, if you add McCollum and, and Walker out there together with the rest of the group, because it it just, it opens everything up. It changes things. And, um, you know, I, I think we also, it's not just this game that I paid attention to yesterday, but South Carolina gave Georgia all they could handle. Right. So, you know, we, we, that's one of the things we talked about after, after week one is you always have to be careful of overreacting to, to a week because <laughs> it's not clear. Okay. Is this team that good or is that team that bad? Right. You just never, you never really know. Week three things start, start to come into, into focus just a little bit. You know, you start to see the, the, the picture starting to get a little less grainy and all of that. Uh, and, one of the things that we saw was 
South Carolina's not world beaters, right? They're not, you know, they couldn't finish, they couldn't finish the job against Georgia. But that was a team that was up 14 to three against Georgia at the half. Right? Now, I think I don't think that Georgia team is what that Georgia team was the last two years either. But I I think there's a little bit of uh they they they're getting They've been Stacy Searles a little bit uh, up front, um, and and I don't think that uh, quarterback the quarterback situation there is quite as good as it's been, but uh, but yeah, I mean that tells you something else about this Carolina team. I think is that that South Carolina win is as impressive as it was, was a legitimate win, was was something that was over a team with a pulse, not over a team that that really just didn't have anything together. So. That's another thing to take away. But to me, it's how different the offense looks when you've got a number one, which is what we talked about. If he's healthy and he's in there, that changes things because they were going to run a lot of things through him. And the <laughs> thing is, I, I said that before the game, and then I was surprised by how much they went, they ran through him in the first half. He had, what, 11 catches or whatever in the first half? And it's like, okay, guys, like now you're just now you're just doing this just to do it. I mean <laughs> – like this is getting ridiculous, but it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference for the for the offense the rest of the year. And I think uh, Pitt and others who are on the on the schedule coming up are on notice that it's a much more balanced Carolina offense than than what we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, Nate McCollum, twenty one targets out of forty passes from Drake May, fifteen catches, one sixty five. Drake, of course, goes for four fourteen. Uh, Buck. When you look at that, and I said it in the pregame, Joey asked me what I thought would be the the key to the game and the player, and I thought it would be McCollum. I mean, he creates so much what we've talked about before, gravity, and sucks guys into him and allows other guys to get open. Just as far as that balance, North Carolina only 100 yards and some change rushing, um, but the balance that Nate McCollum brings to Drake May, giving Drake May an outlet, giving Drake May other options, just sort of speak to that aspect of the offense going forward. Jason's point about Pitt being on notice and other people being on notice, I think it's 100% accurate for Carolina. I think what you said, Tommy, uh, about McCollum kind of covered the waterfront and Jason's comments as well. But one thing I think an additional element that um, McCollum helps with at UNC is that we knew this was going to be a very physical game. Um uh, against Minnesota and, and watching the game, you could see that, you know, when Minnesota hit UNC players, they hit them, you know, they didn't, we weren't messing around. Uh, There were a very physical defense and, uh, you know, solid tacklers and they hit people. Um, but McCollum, the hits they delivered on him, he just jumped up off the ground. He was good to go. He, He's got a lot of dog in him. <laughs> um, so uh, having that dog in him and, and being able to illustrate that to the team and allow that to become a little bit more contagious, not just in the wide receiver core, or, uh, but across the entire team. I mean, um, he can take a, a licking and keep on ticking out there. And uh, I thought that North Carolina answered the challenge of having to play more physical um, fairly well against Minnesota, more so, I think, than I was expecting them to. Uh, Now, 
they had a good number of chunk plays on the ground. I think like six plays or so over 10 yards. Um, so uh, we weren't getting them on the ground as well as we probably need to. But uh, at the same time, um, I think McCollum adds to what Mac Brown wants to be culturally, which is a more physical, more um, intense player on the field that responds to uh, when another team is dishing it out, he dishes it right back. So I think that element is something that North Carolina has been missing for a lot of years, really. Yeah, Jason, follow up there. I thought Drake got popped early, and I think he said uh, it was a stinger. It was one of those shots that he felt it, but he wasn't coming out of the game. But just sort of speak to North Carolina's physicality this year. I, I think, and I don't want to overplay it, it's, but they've played some tough physical teams already, and they will next week as well. But Carolina seems to be a lot more physical football team across the board than they've been in the past two or three years. It makes sense with who they added to the coaching staff. But just sort of chime in on that there. Yeah, I mean, this is what we talked about when we were talking about how they, in the practices we observed, they spent a good amount of time doing inside run drill between the offensive and defensive lines and the running backs and all that and really putting an emphasis on that, physical, on that physicality. And you saw that in this game. Uh, you saw that against South Carolina, like you, like you mentioned before. Uh, and, and Buck, the one, there's one, the one hit that really stood out to me on uh, with McCollum was the one on the left sideline where safety came up and really popped him and the safety went down and McCollum stayed up and just kind of looked down at him on the sideline. And I was just like, Oh, okay. Now, now, you know, that's a flex. Like that's an, uh, that that's one of those, like, okay, you just gave me your best shot and I'm still standing that that's a psychological thing. And this team had a lot of that in them. Uh, I also think there's something to having, you know, you're, they're rotating a pair of backs that are 225 pounds or above, right? It helps your, your overall offensive physicality when you're stand, when you're turning around and you're handing the ball to 220, 225, 230 pound backs that are pounding, pounding the rock and moving forward. And they didn't run the ball as well in this game as I think they'd like. I mean, looking at the numbers here, uh, you had 13 carries. Omarion had 13 carries for 46 yards, three and a half per carry. British had 11 carries for 25 yards, 2.3 per carry. You know, those aren't good numbers. But they were able to do it enough to be balanced and to keep the defense honoring that that run threat. And even when they were getting tackled, they were delivering blows to the backers and whomever were tackling them as well. So that helps. Uh, but I think I think you could see the the, the difference in emphasis that they put on this uh, in terms of the the general sense of physicality on the team and what we talked about going all the way back to January was they needed to. This, this was about how you practice and what the, you know, the offense in some sense, how you play offense in practice in spring and in camp and all of that, that helps set the tone for how physical you are as a, as a total football team. And I do get the sense that the offensive side of the ball has initiated that. And the defensive side has, has responded well. And, and I think both sides of the ball are, are more physical than they've been in recent years.
Buck, here, let me read something for you um, before I ask my question. North Carolina drive start, 401 left in the game. Omari and Hampton rush up the middle three. Omari and Hampton up the middle five. Omari and Hampton up the middle four. British Brooks, one. British Brooks, seven. British Brooks, two. Ball game. They talked about finishing games. They've had a lot of opportunities over the, the years to get games salted away and take care of games at the end. Their ability to do that against Minnesota was impressive, as impressive as anything we saw, I thought, on Saturday. Yeah, the phrase that Mac Brown uses all the time is uh, be able to run the ball when everybody knows you're going to run it. And that's what you just – uh, ran off to us in a series of those runs. But I also want to take note, and um, you know, Jason has already spoken this a little bit already this year, but uh, after this game, North Carolina has six rushing touchdowns from inside the 10-yard line. They've been able to run the ball, score the ball on the ground, when it's first and second or third and goal. And that's impressive to me because they've not had that. They've not shown that ability in recent years just to be able to pound the ball into the end zone. And it takes a lot of the mystery out of it, right? I mean, there, nobody's standing around scratching their heads about what they're going to do. They're just going to line up and run it in. And I, I incline towards um, crediting uh, the big backs, but also the uh, play of the offensive line as coached by Randy Clements in those uh, goal line situations. Six touchdowns from inside the 10 is nothing to sneeze at after the third game of the year. Jason, speak to the offensive line play. And Rick, I see you in the chat. Or Rich, I see you in the chat. It's not a mic position thing it's a, a mic setup thing and it's kind of difficult when we go back and forth and bowls a lot back and forth here but i'm getting there getting there on the mic stuff jason speak to willie was out and we talked about how much looked forward to seeing willie lampkin against those big old boys from minnesota didn't happen those guys at the guard position are having some injury issues but just what'd you see overall from north carolina's offensive line with the physicality of minnesota's front it was pretty obvious minnesota said you're not going to run it uh you, you might have to do something else and i don't know if minnesota really thought drake may was just gonna you know say well okay i like Mac's statement though he said stop running it start throwing it jason offensive line play yesterday yeah i'm not sure minnesota really thought that through <laughs> in terms of Okay, we're going to take away the running game and we're going to we're going to make your Heisman trophy candidate beat us with his arm. Okay? Well, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, really. <laughs> but but uh I mean, I guess if you're going to if you're going to force him to be one-dimensional, it's easier to take away the dimension that is not as strong, but uh okay, yeah. Um it's like kind of like uh going after Huzzy, you know, okay, we're going to set up some one-on-ones to get to get to get a one-on-one -on -one matchup so we can throw a fade or try to take advantage of uh, of one of your defensive backs and we're going to go after this guy. Okay, well, that's the guy you want to go after. What that we don't have any problem with that, do we? <laughs> I mean, if I 
if I'm the uh, if I'm the defensive staff, I'm 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 saying I'm taking that matchup anytime. Isn't that curious, though, Jason? That uh, we hardly ever hear Marcus Allen's name called at all, um, and that's because they never throw at it. And now they've got Armani uh, Chapman on the on the field. Had three pass breakups yesterday. Uh, one of the things that that I think about in connection with the defense, in particular, really more so than the offense, is that rarely at this time of the year do we look at the UNC team as a whole and say, "Well, that they look like they could make a lot of progress between now and the end of the year." Um, but I think this is one of the years we can say that because the players. They're adding to the defense, uh, Chapman, Stick Lane, um, Bo Atkinson. Uh, he, he really is turning into a good player. Dev Evans play. I mean, is, and what they keep adding to the, to the defense, uh, include in terms of people increasing their, um, contribution and, and playing better like Dez to people that they've added like Huzzy to people that they continue to add like, uh, Armani and, uh, stick lane. Will Hardy played some yesterday. Um, I think the prognosis, I think the defense is playing reasonably well. I think we can say with some, um, assurance that this is an improved defense, but I think the potential for it to get better as the season goes on is as good as I've seen um, in recent years. Jason, come on back. That. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about, and I was going to talk about Armani or the defense after the break, but let's go ahead and get into it. Armani Chapman, and if folks haven't read um, Adam Smith's work and, and Jeremiah's and all that, Armani had some issues when he got to Chapel Hill, um, and it's not – uncommon for a player to be in a different system for four years or however long he was at Virginia Tech come in and have to adjust to have different coaches and different setups and getting comfortable um, but Max said he thought it was time to let the old head play Jason I thought he looked pretty good and I was not expecting that from him um, defensive backs not name Elijah Huzzy would you see well I, I think the addition there allowed them to be for a little fresher on the outside for one. I mean, they rotated those guys. Uh, you know, one, uh, I, I was paying attention to that through the game saying, okay, is he out, out there for one guy consistently? I mean, is he replacing 20? Is he replacing 29? And I was like, no, this, this series, he's out there for 20. This series, he's out there for 29. You kept seeing different guys out there on the outside. And then sometimes Huzzy slides somewhere. I thought in general they that allowed them to be a little more physical and um, and a little bit a little bit fresher on the outside, and I do think just in general Chapman there's a there is a he does play like an old head, <laughs> right? He, he's a guy that he's got a lot of experience, and you know in, just in general he's his technique is pretty good. And he's he he didn't make a whole lot of mistakes out there. There was a one play where he tried to undercut it a little bit, got a little greedy, and gave up a gave up a play outside him. It was just just a good throw, and I think that was a surprise given how the quarterback play had been for Minnesota all afternoon. I think he was anticipating a pretty average throw, uh, 
And I do think his speed limitations showed a little bit. Uh, he's a guy that that you you kind of have to know where he, you you have to you have to to scheme a little bit, understanding that if he gets against the wrong guy and you have no safety help, he'll get run by, uh, or he could get run by. But they did a really good job of of recognizing who was on the field and what their strengths were and playing to that. And he gives them a good physical option and a guy who who you know is pretty consistent. So. Um, you know, and of course, Huzzy's Huzzy. He played really well again, and uh, and and I thought the rest of the secondary, you know, bo- uh, in terms of the corners, were generally pretty pretty solid. Um, I don't think most of Minnesota's passing game came from challenging the corners. Uh, now there were some op- some opportunities that they had when they did go after the safeties. The real concern, I think, moving forward in the season is teams that have outstanding slots or multiple wide receivers that they can, that they can formation you to and get some one-on-one matchups in, uh, in the passing game against your, against your, your safeties. I don't think you're comfortable with that. Most of the year, you're trying to make sure your safeties are protected a little bit from some of that stuff. Uh, and you know, I thought overall, I thought the safeties played well yesterday, but there were some opportunities that they just missed downfield because they didn't have a guy who could complete a forward pass at, at different points. Uh, so if there's a concern I'm looking at, it's that there are, you're still going to have to be real careful. And even when your safeties play, play well, which I think they did yesterday, uh, you have to be mindful of potential mismatches or potential uh, big play opportunities that teams are going to try to get against those guys, you know, running deep over routes and, different things, trying to just get safeties against guys that are faster than them. Kelly uh, Manis, the Greek rifle, 11 for 29 for 133, um, 69.6 rating. Cole Kramer, which I'm not quite sure what that play call was. Um, he came in and threw the interception. I believe Chapman got it in the end zone. I think it was Chapman. 0 for 1, one interception for a negative 200 rating on stat broadcast pretty incredible you know we've seen guys that you know Quinshaw Davis what was he four for four for four touchdowns in his Carolina career as a wide receiver with a billion rating or whatever but just overall defensively for North Carolina yes Minnesota had some issues yes Minnesota has quarterback issues uh, but Minnesota still is one of those teams and I think we'll see it as it plays out this year that can grind teams up when they need to they had some success running the ball against North Carolina but your overall thoughts specifically on the defense who stood out that we haven't talked about I do think we need to give props to Jacoby Cowan for his sack the only sack North Carolina had Um, shout out to Jason for those reviews that got him going uh you you you're taking, <laughs> and I'd be remiss if I didn't explain that, but I'm not going to explain it. But hey, the kid played good yesterday for sure. But overall, defensive guy we haven't talked about, and I got you muted. I'm sorry. We haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk about the linebackers so far this year because their their play has been a little inconsistent. Uh, I thought they played much better yesterday um, overall. Just looking at it, I thought that they showed up more in this game than they have in, in the other games. 
Um, so, uh, you know, both, uh, said gray and, um, power Eccles, I thought had better games than they've had so far this year. Now you spoke to this and I, I think it probably bears some emphasis. North Carolina wasn't playing the greatest show on turf yesterday. That offense is not, uh, nearly, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to consider whether we will play a worse offense the remainder of the season, maybe Campbell, um, I don't, I, who else? Maybe Virginia. Um, there are some offenses that are probably as weak as Minnesota's was yesterday. And North Carolina's defense has something to do with it. And we, so we shouldn't discount them. But, um, you know, one of the things that I'm going to mention his name already, and I haven't looked at the snap counts. I don't know how often he played, but I just notice him when he's in the game is Bo Atkinson in terms of setting the edge. I don't think they have a better player on the team. Uh, I, Des Evans is playing great. No, don't get me wrong, but uh, the Atkinson's ability on the edge against the running game is that he will not let a running back go around him, get to the outside. He will force a running back back inside where he's got help. He'll spill that player inside and set the edge. And that's a quality we haven't seen in a defensive end to this extent in a little while. Um, so that's, that's the thing to me that I thought, um, and they're getting those kinds of contributions defensively from a number of people. Uh, you mentioned Jacoby Cohen. Uh, there are other people that are uh, making contributions and the depth of this team uh, just to be able to sub in on the interior, or put Tamari Fox in for Kevin Hester, um, those kinds of things, being able to keep players fresher I think that's the overall improvement in the defense is that you look at the snap counts last year, you can Google them and bring them up game by game if you want, or their entire season. Well, the defensive lines the last couple of years or forever for a while, um, those guys are getting a huge numbers of snaps and with no relief. I, I remember when Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford were playing, I think they had virtually every snap on the interior for the defense the entire year almost and now we're seeing that um depth come into play for north carolina where they feel good that they can put in a player and he can play when he's fresh to at least 80 or 90 percent of what the starter was so that's a that's a huge advantage for them yeah, and, and to your point, they played 10 defensive linemen yesterday against Minnesota. Cowan had seven snaps, had a sack. That's being efficient when you're out there. Jason, and somebody asked in the chat, I know Rucker got dinged. Rucker played 57 of Minnesota's 61 offensive snaps. Um, and the way injuries work is we'll get an update ahead of Mac on Mondays. And, of course, inside Carolina will bring you what they know. Um, but until uh, that happens, I don't have anything on injuries that we can add, and, and we don't like to talk about them a lot because they're part of football. 
Jason, I'm going to let you riff on the linebackers before we take a break. Power Echoes with an interception. Um, I did not think he looked good against App. I thought he looked a lot better against Minnesota. Your take on what you saw. And, granted, App, the way App's offense was set up is it takes advantage of a guy like Power's limitations. I don't know that Minnesota could do that. But just overall, Gray, Eccles, and also Amari Campbell had a couple good snaps. Yeah, I think um, I think that both backers played a lot better. But like you said, App's whole plan was to try to put the backers in a lot of conflict. App, App made things difficult for the backers and the safeties. I mean, they they really tried to attack what they identified as spots where they could they could put guys in conflict and take advantage of them a little bit. Uh, Minnesota honestly didn't take advantage of anything, <laughs> right? I mean, Minnesota came in and tried to just impose their will and run the football. And when Carolina was able to more or less hold up and those backers were able to make some tackles at the line of scrimmage and, and looking at this, you had, uh, let's see, uh, power had three tackles. Cedric had, or power had seven tackles. Uh, Cedric had had six, and you know of those ten of those total tackles were would be classified as stops. So that's you know close to the line of scrimmage. That's not that's the offense not getting the yardage that they were hoping to get out of that run play. Yeah, and in comparison, it's not chasing down a guy after twenty yards. Right. Yeah. And there is a so, big difference. So you think about that. They they had a combined thirteen tackles, ten of which were stops wins for the offense well you know what that you'll you'll take that every time and um i i just thought minnesota just didn't have the the dudes or the and especially i mean at quarterback as inaccurate as they are it's hard to to take advantage of putting some guys in conflict if you can't complete a simple glance route behind him you know that sort of thing so I do want to slow down a little bit in terms of crowning some guys, but I thought they did play better. I didn't think they were, you know, they were as much was demanded of them by Minnesota in the play. The thing where I do think both guys deserve more credit is Minnesota does a lot of stuff up front to, to gain extra gaps. You know, they'll put an extra lineman or two on the field. They went unbalanced multiple times and, I thought Carolina's backers did a really good job of making sure that they were aligned correctly and guys that nobody was out of gaps. Cause that's something that Minnesota tries to do to you. They try to get you, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll quit. They'll go quick when they go unbalanced at times and then they'll shift. And then they try to hit you while you're still trying to figure out, okay, he, he's got to be over there now and he's got to be, uh, oh, oh, get over there. And while you're doing that, they're hitting it. And now a back gets a, gets a gap and he's, you know, 30, 40 yard chunk gain. I thought by and large, the Carolina backers did a really good job of making sure that guys were in the right holes and that the alignment of the defense was was right. And I thought the safeties did a good job as well on that. Uh, that's one of the challenges when you play Minnesota is getting your pre-snap alignments right. And they did well with that. And I think the results showed that. And and the other thing is that when they when they did that, they also handled, they cleaned stuff up behind it uh, consistently. So you give them credit for that. And again, you, as you mentioned, 10 defensive linemen and a lot of guys with a lot of snaps. I mean, the defensive linemen who played the fewest snaps 
was Col- was Cowan, Jacoby Cowan. And like you said, he had a sack, on, a, a sack on those seven total snaps that he had on the day. Well, that's, that's how you get to play more, right? You do your job and do it well. And now you're, you're going to get more chances out there. But, um, this is, this is something that I've been harping on for a while that, that teams that are contenders don't have defensive tackles playing 60 snaps a game. And th- this is actually something I, I read this week, uh, some comments from the Florida state staff where they said, look, we look, we did, we did a, a, a survey. We went, we went back and looked at all the playoff teams, all the contenders who had success in recent years. And we looked at how many snaps they had on defense from different guys. And what we noticed is that the teams that won were teams that their defensive tackles and defensive ends didn't play more than 40 snaps a game. Yep. Well, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while and and they actually went through and, you know, looked at the past, you know, results. And it was like the teams that, that contended at that level were teams where, the defensive linemen who are getting the most snaps on their defense are, are getting like 37 snaps. Well, you know, Carolina's getting closer to that. I mean, Cayman Rucker had the most up front at 57, like you mentioned, but then you go down the list and the next, the next most is Des Evans at 36. Javari Ritzy, 34, Miles Murphy, 34, Kevin Hester, 27, Tamari Fox, 19, Bo Atkinson, 15. And that, that really, that's where they need to be. I'd actually like to see Eccles, or, or I mean, uh, Rucker's reps come down a little bit, r- regardless of whether he's fully healthy or not. I'd like to see those reps come down into the into the forty. You know, maybe maybe low to mid forties if you really, you know, he's one of the most valuable guys up front, if not the most valuable. I think he is the most valuable. So you put him in the forties, maybe. But I, I think that's a little bit much for him. But I think it makes a big, big difference. It also helps motivate your 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 guys that are at that lower level. And Travis Shaw, by the way, fourteen. Uh, it motivates the guys that are that are backups to to play harder to uh, to earn their time, and essentially it allows you to play harder and be more impactful in the thirty snaps that you're going to get than you would be in the fifty snaps that you that you would get otherwise. Agree, a hundred percent. I mean. I remember Buck mentioned Sturbriggs and Crawford. If my memory serves, they played 900 or so snaps that season. And then you look at Clemson's DL, and none of them played 500 or over 500. <laughs> I mean, just that's two seasons worth that Crawford and Sturbridge played. Um, it wears on you, especially late in the season. Let me talk about Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of Inside Carolina, great friends of Inside Carolina's premium subscribers. Look. If you're not a member of Inside Carolina Premium, I need you to do a couple things. One, everybody needs to hit that like button on this YouTube chat. And also, you need to join Inside Carolina's Premium because I promise you the work Jason Staples is going to do this week breaking down film is worth the price of admission. Buck's column three times a week, worth the price of admission. And then we haven't even talked about the recruiting aspect and basketball and football and all the other Inside Carolina Premium stuff. And then on top of it, you get the Johnny T-shirt discount. Can't beat it. Can't beat it, folks. They, they're practically giving away their stuff to Inside Carolina Premium subscribers um, with that discount. National guys will pay the bills. We're coming back. It's the day after. Heels passed the test against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Okay, guys, let's, let's sort of 
Let's have a Drake May portion of the show. We talked about him a little bit. We haven't had one all season, so it might be a little rusty here. Buck, I'll let you start it. Drake has said all year it is, uh, you know, he does what's required to win, whether it's throw for 200 yards or throw for 414. Drake had another game. You'd like the interceptions back like we talked about, but just overall Drake's performance Saturday. Well, uh Two points, uh, and you've, you've touched on one of them already, but um, I think one point that needs to be made pretty strongly is that um, their third down conversion rate against Minnesota was over 70%. And as that evolved, the way that Minnesota likes to to win ball games is that they don't necessarily beat up your offense. They try to starve it to death. Uh, they, they play, uh, they've averaged like 35 minutes time of possession. That's 10 minutes longer than the opposing offense. If they're getting 35, then the opposing offense is getting 25. That's just how that works. And so the fact that they were converting 70% of their, of their third downs, that meant they could stay on the field. Now, the defense did their part. They only gave up three out of 12, I think, something like that, third down conversions. But when you can convert third down at that rate, you're not going to allow the other team to beat you just because they won't let you have the ball. You're keeping the ball is what you're doing. And, uh, you know, that plus uh, the return of a long ball. Chicks dig the long ball, right? So, <laughs> Buck Sanders with the, with the greatest line ever. Uh, so, and he was hitting some long passes yesterday, uh, a bunch of them. I think I said six over 10 yards or 15 yards, something like that. It was a bunch. Um, so 10 he over was, 15. 10 over 15. Is that right? Yep. Uh-huh. So he, the long ball returned yesterday, which was great to see. And, uh, we've already touched on McCollum and, uh, his play, but that first, uh, touchdown that he got, he just snatched the ball away from the, the defender who was in great position. There's nothing wrong with the way he was being defended on that play, but he just went and got the ball and no, this is my ball. It's not your ball. Anyway, back to, um, uh, Drake may, you know, that kind of conversion, uh, percentage speaks to both Drake may's ability and the ability of the overall offense, but it also, you got to give some credit to chip Lindsay here because if you're converting third down at that percentage, then you probably got a pretty good call played, you know, um, a play called in that situation. So, uh, now the interceptions, I tend to think of them. I'm probably, um, a little bit of an outlier here compared to most people that watch, uh, football. Um, I tend to think interceptions are more or less and turn most turnovers sort of random events, but I don't like the four for four. Um, 
touchdown to interception ratio as it exists right now. But I sort of feel like that that's going to have to regress to mean over the course of the season. That's how I feel. So those are the two points I would make about Drake May um, so far. So let me tee you up, Jason. Now, we talked, and I let you set the table for what the game plan should be against Minnesota on <laughs> Thursday night. And you said North Carolina needs to throw the ball, come out throwing the ball, throw it on first down more often than not. Looking at the 10 big plays that you referenced as Buck was talking over 15 yards. One. Well, I had more. Two, three. Four, four of them. Four. Four of the 10 big plays were on first down. Jason, your thoughts on Drake, your thoughts on Chip Lindsey's game plan. Yeah, I thought Chip's game plan was was pretty darn good in this one. Understanding where the weaknesses of that Minnesota defense were. Something I want to I want to highlight. How many times did you catch how many times uh, teams have gone, have scored over what was it, 25 points on Minnesota the past three years? Like once or none or some ridiculous stat. So Minnesota has given up more than 20, 25 points three times the last three years. So once a year, Minnesota has been given up over 25 points. So for Carolina to score 31, and honestly, they scored 31 pretty easily. Could have easily been 45. They could have, they, they kind of, they kind of, once they got up and it was clear that Minnesota was not moving the football, they, they started running some clock and, you know, played to, to, to finish the game in that respect, not to keep the pedal to the metal and score a bunch more points, but they could have scored more in this game. And so first of all, that needs to be understood. This is a good Minnesota defense. Now, granted, one of the reasons that they don't give up a ton of points is because they play in the Big Ten West. So, you know, there's... <laughs> it's not Pac-12 after dark. Right. It, you, you've seen, <laughs> surely you've seen the whole, you know, race to, to, to the, the drive for 25 that uh, Iowa's got going right now, where uh, <laughs> their offensive coordinator has it in his contract, essentially, that, you know, his contract's going to be revisited if they don't average over 25 points a game. <laughs> so every game, it's like, did he get over 25? Like, it, when that's the, you know, that might be the front runner for that side of the conference. It's not a real offensive heavy side of that conference, but still you have to play good defense, not to give up over 25 that many times a year. I mean, they do play a, a couple good teams a year. So you've got to give some respect to Carolina for taking care of business against the defense. That's well-schooled. That's well-coached that plays hard. That doesn't give up a ton of yards and points. I mean, Carolina had as many yards in the first half as Nebraska had in the full game a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I'm going to feel like I'm playing stump the band right now, but um, <laughs> when was the last time, do you think, Minnesota gave up over 400 yards through the air? Ooh, I don't think that's in the P.J. Fleck era. 2018 to Ohio State when Dwayne Haskins was killing everybody, um, they gave up 400 to that's five years ago. They've not yeah. given up that many yards through the air in, in five years. So yeah. that kind of speaks to, you know, how well Drake may and, and Lindsay and the receivers, 
Nate McCollum and everybody, um, how they performed yesterday. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that needs to be put out there first and foremost is if you're talking about, okay, well, how good was the plan? Well, you took advantage of the weaknesses in a defense that doesn't typically show a lot of weaknesses. So that in itself says something. Uh, and as far as Drake's two interceptions, I mean, Buck, you're right. I mean, there's a certain randomness aspect to this because the one he's throwing a, he's, th- it's a layered route where you have the the flat route and then you have the deeper out route behind it. And you see quarterbacks make this throw every week, every week, the, the flat routes covered. So you throw it to the second level and you just put it right over top of the guy and the, the underneath coverage and throw it to the outside. No problem. It just so happens that the guy covering the flat route just made an unbelievable play. I mean, there was a, a great athletic play to undercut that, to show the length and actually catch the football. I mean, at most, normally, you're going to see a guy get a hand on that and kind of knock it away. But he, he got to it. And that's not even a guy you're really paying a lot of attention to in that in that throw all that all that often. So, okay, you know, tip your cap maybe you know be a little more conscious of the underneath coverage in that in the future but you don't expect that and then the second one he's just throwing it away cuz uh cuz the the offensive lineman got beat he's trying to get rid of it and just happened to get hit from an angle that took all of the mustard off the football so you know then you get a you know wounded quail that's uh you know going through going to the wrong person but you know if you're going to have an interception that's that's kind of the kind you want. It's not a bad decision. It's not a, uh, it's not a bad read. He just happened to get hit just the wrong way. You know, it affected his arm while he, while he's making the throw, that's going to happen sometimes. It's like getting a ball batted at the line of scrimmage. And then that gets, gets intercepted or a ball goes off your receiver's hands and that gets intercepted. They go on the interception line, but not all interceptions are created equal to me. You know, both of those, you just kind of look at and you go, well, you know, probably won't happen again. (laughs) So, you know, get rid of it just a little earlier next time you're going to throw that away, you know, and I think he was trying to throw it upfield towards the, uh, the, the vertical receiver, just get it out of there in a way that makes it look like he's not throwing it away. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm fine with that. 40, 40 passes through a couple picks that were, you know, they weren't bad picks in that respect and took care of business. Otherwise, I mean, this is a fun one. You look down at the North Carolina receiving chart and the catch percentage for the players that, that were targeted, right? Nate McCollum targeted 21 times, 15 catches. So that's 71%. That's pretty darn good. And then Bryson Nesbitt, four targets, four catches, 100%. JJ Jones, three targets, three catches, 100%. Kamari Morales, three tar- or two targets, two, ca- uh, two catches, 100%. Omarion Hampton, two targets, two catches, 100%. Gavin Blackwell, one target, one catch, 100%. British Brooks, one target, one catch, 100%. I, okay, well, that means you're being pretty efficient in terms of putting the ball on frame and on target, and you're finding guys that are open. Uh, so I think the Carolina passing game looked healthy. I do still think they need to figure out who really option number two is going to be as, as far as wide receivers. You know, you know you've got some tight ends that can can be a good second option. But I do think they they need to have J.J. Jones. I thought he had a, a, a good game in this one. He needs to continue to step forward. I think they're going to need, you know, Blackwell, Pesor, Green, someone else from that receiver group to present themselves as a, 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 another threat that is going to force 
teams not to be able to just try to double McCollum. And I expect Pitt to, to bracket McCollum pretty much the entire game coming up. So they're going to need to have somebody step up and, and be a, uh, a quality option and a guy who can make plays outside of McCollum coming up because teams, and, and I think, again, Pitt is going to do this a bunch. They're just going to do whatever they can to try to take McCollum away. Yep. And that's when somebody else needs to step up, to your point, and make some plays. That's why I thought it was good to see J.J. with 39-yard reception. Kamari Morales, of course, wide open, but caught it 55-yard reception. Gavin Blackwell got dinged on that long catch. Um, but those guys, like I mentioned, and like we'll watch in the Pittsburgh game, and we'll talk about McCullum sucks the air out of the room and sucks defensive players into his area, allowing other guys to get open. It's called gravity, folks. Let's uh, let's buck anything left before I take some questions from the chat. I've got several, and I want to knock them out because one thing I love is the interaction in the chat, not only with folks talking to each other in there and, and having fun on a Sunday morning, but also chiming into us and dropping some questions. Anything before we go there, Buck? Now, I'm just going to repeat what you said. Um, the number of people that that join us live on Sunday mornings is awesome. We love it, and we love the questions that we get. Um, so keep them coming, and we'll try to answer as many as we can, many as we have time for. Yeah, the the interaction part of the live shows is what makes it special. And so shout out to uh, 560 folks here on a Sunday morning. I mean, I can't get people I know to get out of bed and watch it. And now we have so many. And shout out to everybody that spoke yesterday, both in the bowls lot and at the game. Fun time for sure. Let's go rapid. Uh, Jason, I'll ask you this one. I'll start and I'll go back and forth. Do you think Tez running with the ones in camp and all week one caused Drake has caused Drake to make a few more mistakes than usual? That's been a question I've heard a lot, and I'm not not sure I agree with it, but not the expert. Jason, what you got? That's a really interesting question. So I don't know if I would say that it's caused him to make more mistakes than usual, but I do suspect that it probably had some impact on the overall level of comfort and chemistry with some, with, with some of these guys where on certain plays, certain looks where you're used to having Tez in practice, you, you, you know that, okay, he's going to come open for this and, and, and I'm expecting that. And, then when he's not out there, you don't really have the same comfort with the next guy that that probably does impact some things. So I don't think it had no impact. Now I will put an asterisk there because one thing that a lot of folks who don't get to watch practices or haven't watched, you know, college level practices don't understand is that it's not a matter of like, okay, here's the ones, here's the twos, here's the threes. And that's who you practice with. You know, Drake May is just practicing with the three receivers on the ones. And so he gets used to those three guys and that's it. Tez McCollum, or geez, Tez Walker and Nate McCollum were, were running with the ones for sure. But it's always a rotation of who's with the ones. So generally speaking, in these practices, what's going to happen is you're going to have three or four plays with one set of receivers or with and, and it may, may be staggered a little bit on who's going to sub for, sub for whom, but there's usually a rotation. Like when I was, when I was in college, we had a, uh, a three play rotation for guys in our, you know, seven on seven or scrimmage settings uh, with a given 
situation. So you're in a scrimmage situation. You you do three plays and then you rotate out and then another guy's in and then they do three plays and you rotate in and then they're in. So really what happens is Tez is going to get, he's going to go out there with the ones and then Green's going to come in and be with the ones too. And then, you know, JJ is going to be at that spot and rotate in at that spot with the ones. So there is a, a rotation, but it's not a matter of Tez taking all those reps. It's a matter of Tez taking about probably half of the reps at that position with the ones in camp. And the the case that you have to make is that the other, so if, if, if he's not playing the other half that would have gone to somebody else, you know, could have potentially benefited that. And I do think that's probably true. I do think some of what they were doing, I think the bigger issue is that some of what they were doing schematically was expecting that they'd have somebody to take the top off the defense in certain cases. And they've had to adjust a little bit to not being uh, quite as feared out wide on that as they would have been. Buck Sanders, I'll give you this one. Even though it was directed to Jason, we we mix it up here, folks. Yeah. Are the three tight ends as good as they seem to be to Jack in the chat? I think they're pretty good. Copenhaver with a bad hand has certainly limited him from the pass catching. But, Buck, your take on the tight ends. Well, they started out the year great uh, against South Carolina. And uh, in that game, um, they had well over 100 yards receiving, the three of them combined, and a touchdown. Um, and they each had three catches. Copenhaver is, you know, as Tommy already alluded to, not in as much in the mix as he was. He's trying to play, even though he's got a hurt hand at times, but yesterday they did the same thing. They had well over a hundred yards. I mean, um, Morales got half of that on, on one play yesterday, um, on a 55 yard catch. So they, the, in terms of yardage catches and they scored a touchdown as well yesterday. Um, so they're certainly a huge part of this team. And I think, uh, and to Jason's point a little bit and to Tommy has spoken to it as well, the gravity factor of McCollum is going to afford even more opportunities uh, to other receivers, even the tight ends. So uh, I, I think they're very good. Um, I always have thought that Morales was is flies under everybody's radar, even though he's a career uh, touchdown leader in tight ends in North Carolina history who's had some pretty good tight ends in Freddie Jones, Algie Crumpler, Eric Ebron, and but he's he owns a record for most touchdown passes. So, and Nesbitt, has, we've talked about his uh, physical skill set um, and measurables, and 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 he comes up with a big catch on, routinely. Um, and Copenhaver, and and somebody else made the point in chat. I'll speak to this a little bit when I was talking about the defense having an opportunity to get really better during the year that they had a chance to improve. Sometimes you see teams and you, they are what they are, but I think the offense has a chance and somebody mentioned this in chat to get better and improve throughout the year. 
Um, and the tight ends will be a big part of that as well. Interesting discussion in the chat going on. Um, I'll let Jason handle the chat. I'm going to end the questions right here. Uh, I'll answer this one. Gilbert asked, is Minnesota defense overemphasized stopping the run, not knowing what the fully operational Nate McCollum could do? We talked about it a little earlier. I think they may yes. have. <laughs> yes. Answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, 15 for 165, uh, that really can't happen, and it happened repeatedly. Um, so some validity there. Uh, Tar Heel Wizard, any updates on Lampkin? We'll, we'll hear about that. He was a late scratch, of course. Uh, here we go, Jason. Well, no, let me get a good one here. I, I know E.C. Keller knows how to bring the apples to the teacher. Nothing better than Buck, Tommy, and Jason while I have my Sunday morning coffee. Uh, shout out to that. Appreciate the comments. Um, this is fun. Lionel Hollywood, 52, 5.52 in the chat today. Uh, it's 5.60 as we speak. Hey, it's all about the Inside Carolina fans and others that pay attention. You guys are great. Um, Adam, I mentioned it earlier. I tried to stay up for Pac-12 at night. I fell asleep. And uh, it was a good ball game, but we're not going to talk Colorado football. I think they have enough folks talking Colorado football. Yeah, and it, let's keep in mind, they're still gonna. it's still going to be a, an uphill climb for them to get to six wins this year. The, 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 the first month was where they needed to get their wins. Because it was against very uh, the weakest competition of their of their season, they're about to start to have to play teams that have a lot more to give them trouble for. And I say this as someone I've got friends on that Colorado staff, so you know they've done great so far, and they're they're probably one win up on what they probably should be at this point in the year. Uh, they they've managed to win a couple close ones, but. Uh, coming into the year, I felt like if they got to five, that would be a really, really great job coaching right now. The target's six, I think. And if they can get to six, that's, that's going to be, they can get to six from here. That's really impressive. I, I will say they're fun to watch. And I don't know why oppos opposing teams keep giving them uh, bulletin board material, but yeah, that it, stuff doesn't matter at all. Yeah. But it, 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 feeds it, it the all, raw meat. all it does is it allows Dion, you know, to maintain some, public persona stuff for you know which is helpful for future recruiting or whatever but it makes zero difference for games i've got a question for uh jason and tommy how are y'all feeling about your picks the for pittsburgh to upset unc heading into the pittsburgh game i want a mulligan <laughs> that's a valid question to end this show and there's a bunch more questions in there and i promise you folks we'll get to as many I watched Pitt some against West Virginia, and I don't know what the the journey from Notre Dame to Boston College to Pittsburgh did. It's brutal. But I didn't see the same guy. I mean, no. you go back. When did Carolina play them up there? It was there at Boston Two College up there. It was, it, was when the, it was during the COVID year. Everything was, They didn't let people into the stands. Yeah. That, that dude looked great. And it's like he's had an out-of-body experience. Jason, is that something – that's just unknown what's going on or, or what have you seen from that? And if you had a mulligan, would you stripe it down the middle or would you put it in the trees again? Well, based on my <laughs> recent experience, uh, I played TPC stadium course based on my recent experience uh, on that at the end of the summer. Uh, 
we got 50 50 shot here <laughs> for them <laughs> for that second shot <laughs> so um yeah that uh <laughs> I, I i'm taking carolina in that game uh just to not to not to you know provide a spoiler for the game plan podcast this week but yeah it's a, it i don't know what's happened to Djokovic because he does not does not look like the same player like you said and it, it was brutal last night it was I, well I, I mean i like watching college football but i turned it off i was like i'm not i'm not spending time watching this mess was it, it was just just uh just terrible all right well, scott despite that shot at uh tommy and jason for their pit uh selections <laughs> um i think jason deserves a huge shout out for predicting the passing game would break out against Minnesota. I did not think that was going to happen and said so. I didn't think they were going to be able to throw the ball against uh, um, Minnesota like they did. I mean, of course, 400 yards was unforeseeable, but still, Jason in the game plan came and said, Bill Carolina's going to throw the ball on Minnesota. And yep. they did. So, uh, kudos. Last question from the chat. Can you please address how often Drake seems to be audibling at line of scrimmage? I asked Drake and Chip Lindsay last week, and I'm sure to be a topic this week. Uh, Chip said roughly eight calls. Drake said he remembered four or five calls against App where he was able to audible and change the play at the line of scrimmage or check into something else. So I think that is part of my belief that he's becoming a better quarterback um, because you do that all the time in the NFL. Well, so, and the other thing you got to remember is that that – that, that you can answer that different ways because that's they're probably answering just like going from one play to another and in a lot of cases the way this works uh in a in a in a modern college offense is you have certain certain plays that are packaged together so it's like okay we're gonna run uh you got you know x formation we're gonna run power but if they align with the three technique here and, you know, an overhang player here, then that's an automatic check to weak side zone, you know, this sort of thing. So you have automatic checks in there for the, for, for the quarterback based on look. And sometimes that'll change week to week. Okay. We know they like to do X, Y, and Z. If we see this look and we have this call on, then we have to go to this call. That's, that's basically how that works. Um, and so that's probably what they're what they're referring to. But the other thing is he's doing a lot of directing traffic in terms of you've got to make sure your protection is right. So, okay, we're sliding, you know, okay, such and such is the mic. You usually get a mic call from the center, but you, you, the quarterback sometimes will, will redirect and say, okay, you know, slide right, slide right, you know, these sorts of things. Um, or you'll have uh, just a, a quick check in terms of one receiver's route will change or different things like that site reads and things like that, that they don't go, they don't get counted as audibles because the, the whole play isn't really changing, but there's still some, some, some other things that are being checked or, or taken care of at the line of scrimmage. You know, you pull the back to, from this side to the other, you know, a lot of different things like that. Yeah, and it's uh, that growth and that ability of Drake. He, he talked about it. Go check out his uh, Tuesday press conference last week, talking about that as well. Um, shout out to the people that have joined us. I've got a couple more comments before we get out of here. We're pushing over longer. Emily Harrington, when was the last time seven ACC schools started 3-0 and and Clemson was not in that seven? Whew. I'm not a history person, but I think it's great for the ACC to have – teams that are playing well and i don't care who they play 
Um, winning ball games is important, and certainly uh, FSU survived one. Everybody needs their C game to win. Florida State got their C game win, so they're probably the class of the league. Jason will agree with that, but uh, North Carolina certainly is playing their way. And Scott Dawson, I'm gonna let you wrap it up. And Buck, um, I'm all for this, so we need to make it happen. When are we doing a podcast from Hatteras Island? Showcase <laughs> our state to the recruits. I'm all for it. I love Hatteras. Um, if we can get Jason and the family there, uh, uh, I'm in. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe the bowl game, eh? Yeah, we'll just instead of go, unless it's you know a fantastic city for the bowl game, uh, we'll do it from Hatteras. And uh, there's a real chance they're gonna be, gonna be a pretty good city for this year's bowl game. Yep. Do not talk too soon, Jason Staples, North Carolina. Pittsburgh next week, eight o'clock. I was kind of hoping for a nooner, but it is eight o'clock at Pittsburgh. That's Jason Staples. I'm Buck. Uh, I'm not Buck Sanders. I'm Tommy Ashley. Thinking about nooners, uh, guys. It's always been fun on the day after. We'll be back next week on the day after. Check out Vipolis and Jeff Shopmer. Check out Coast to Coast this week. Check out On the Beat and the Game Plan Live Thursday night. Appreciate everybody joining us. As always, we do this for you guys. We do this for Johnny T-Shirt, and we do it for Inside Carolina. Thanks, everybody.